The lights begin to dim, and a low murmur of the crowd slowly dies down. In the stillness, the soft sounds of the piano emerge. The gentle strumming of a guitar joins in as lights begin to illuminate the stage. A stylishly dressed female steps forward, draws a microphone to her lips. With closed eyes, she starts to sing in serene, passionate tones. Quiet at first, the melody begins to grow louder. Progressing higher and swelling with each word, the piano and the guitar join in this crescendo. At its highest point, the drums suddenly burst into action with an explosion of light and sound. A new rhythm transforms the song from peaceful to powerful, ushering in an atmosphere of unreserved emotion and drawing in the crowd. The spotlights are now at their full brightness, revealing several musicians who had been waiting for this moment. The audience sways to the music, enraptured in the feelings created by their skillful performance. Where am I? The fact that this description could equally apply to a modern worship service or to a Taylor Swift concert uh, should be great cause for concern. What would the Christians in the New Testament have thought about such a production? Did the apostles ever play in a worship band? Would the early church have considered praising God in any way remotely resembling such a performance? Is this truly what God desires from his church? I want to talk today about the concept of praise versus performance. Uh, we've been talking about this concept of God's church versus my church. And, and the core question that we're trying to ask in this series uh, is what does God desire from his people? What does he expect from his church in our work, in our service, in our worship, in our evangelism? What is his design, his blueprint for his people? Uh, because it's very easy for us to begin to think about church in terms of what, what we expect or what we desire, um, how we would design things. Uh, but we're not the builders of the church. Christ is. Uh -huh. And so I want us to ask specifically in the area of our worship today, what does God desire from our worship? And if the way that we worship is molded and formed solely, not by our own preferences or desires or the culture around us, but by what we see in the scriptures, what, what is that going to look like? And, and I want to make it very clear, this sermon is not intended simply to look outward at what everyone else is doing wrong. Uh, this series is not intended to, to do that. It's first and foremost intended to look inward, to look into God's word as a mirror, uh, and while we will be addressing some of the more blatant demonstrations of this problem uh, in the worship band culture of our day, uh, the same issue threatens our mindset and our attitudes, uh, maybe in more subtle ways. Uh, but I hope it'll be helpful for us uh, to think uh, about the focus and purpose of our worship biblically today. First of all, I think it's important that we recognize from the outset, that not all forms of worship are pleasing to God. We, we actually discover that very early on in our Bibles, in the passage that Jared just read for us here in Genesis chapter 4. You know, there, there's a very pervasive idea in the religious world today that worship can take any form that I want it to take. 
And whatever I find most meaningful in expressing myself to the Lord, that can be worship. Uh, if I find it very meaningful and fulfilling to express my talents to the Lord in, in painting or, or in uh, dancing or playing an instrument or performing some drama or multimedia production, well, then that's worship. Well, isn't that a biblical idea? What we see here in Genesis 4 very early on uh, is that not all forms of worship are pleasing to God. Let's read again there, starting in verse 3. Of Genesis 4, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The very first record of worship in the, the Bible. And what do we find? Uh, there was a worship that was pleasing to God and a worship that was displeasing to him. Why? Well, we're not told expressly here why uh, Cain's worship was displeasing to the Lord. Uh, I think there's some indication from the text, first of all, that he was not maybe giving his best to the Lord. It's interesting with Abel, it specifically says that his offering was of the firstborn of his flock in their fat portions. Whereas with Cain, it doesn't say it was the first fruits of the ground, which is something that we'll see later on commanded. It just says he gave of the fruit of the ground. So is it possible, maybe to some extent, he's not giving his best to the Lord? That might be part of the idea. I, I think also it seems to indicate that he wasn't giving it from the right heart, first and foremost. You see, it says there that God had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he did not have regard. Well, what's the focus there? It's not just the offering that was brought, but it was the individual that was bringing the offering. It's where that offering was coming from, the heart that it was coming from. Um, you notice down there in verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? He doesn't say, will not your offering be accepted? He says, will you not be accepted? There's something about Cain's heart. In Hebrews 11, we find out that Abel offered this in faith. Cain, by implication, is not offering from faith. And evidently, Cain had the information that he needed to offer an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, God there in verse 7 says he's capable of doing well. So we don't know exactly. We have, may have a, a good many ideas about why Cain's offering was not accepted. Uh, but the principle revealed to us is that not all worship is equally pleasing or acceptable to God. So we see that in the, the very beginning of our Bibles. We'll see it again in the very next book of our Bibles. Um, in Exodus chapter 32. Remember, as Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai, and after a time, they, they get kind of tired of waiting. Moses has been up there a long time. Uh, eventually, they decide to make a golden calf. But I want you to notice specifically what's said about this, this idol that they make here in Exodus 32, starting in verse 4. Uh, speaking of Aaron, it says, He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to 
the Lord. You, you may notice in, in many Bibles uh, that that word Lord is going to be in all caps. That's an indication that we're talking about the word Yahweh or Jehovah. Who are they worshiping or who are they claiming to worship here? Aaron says this is going to be a feast to the Lord. This is the God that brought you out of the land of Canaan. And in Aaron's mind, at least, he's not erecting some false God. No, this is just a demonstration of Jehovah God. And that's who we're worshiping and doing this. Well, was that acceptable to the Lord? No, uh, idol craftsmanship was not an acceptable form of worship to Jehovah. It didn't matter how talented they were in that, in that art. Uh, that was not acceptable to the Lord. Um, was it okay? Well, 30,000 dead Israelites would witness that no, it was not okay. In Leviticus chapter 10, the third book of our Bibles. In Leviticus chapter 10, you may remember the story of Nadab and Abihu. Here, starting in verse 1, uh, after being consecrated as, as priests, preparing all of this time uh, to be able to serve in that way, it says here in Leviticus 10 and verse 1, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died. What's the problem here? Well, you have the right people, right? Uh, they had been consecrated for this role. You have the right place. You have the right method, the burning of incense before the Lord. But you have the wrong content. Uh, here, evidently, they weren't following the, the direction of, the, of the, the type of incense that was to be burned before the Lord. Um, well, why was that such a big deal? Uh, that doesn't seem uh, that big to us, maybe. But look there in Leviticus 10 and in verse 3. It says in verse 3, Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Why is it that God so strongly here demonstrates uh, his opposition to what they're doing? Because worshiping the way that God instructs, worshiping according to his will, uh, is an expression of reverence to him. Here, not regarding what God had commanded in this regard, uh, was not sanctifying him, not glorifying him, not holding him in reverence. A heart that does not seek out what is pleasing to God in worship is a heart that does not respect him or his word as it should. And so in the very first three books of our Bible, we see this concept again and again. Uh, we need to understand that when it comes to our worship to the Lord, it's not about whatever I think, whatever my preferences are. Uh, it's about what does God desire. Worship is about him. It's not about me. We could probably cite many more examples, but fast forward all the way to the end of your Old Testament in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Here, God rebukes the priests here who are not giving the proper honor, not giving the proper reverence. Same problem from Leviticus 10 uh, to God. A son honors his father. 
but where is my honor? God says. How are they dishonoring God? Well, it says in verse 8, but when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? In verse 10, God even says, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates so that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. So here, God would rather have no worship at all. God would rather them board up the doors of the temple, leave the church building, (laughs) and not offer any kind of sacrifice than to offer these sacrifices that were not according to his instruction, that were not according to his will, that, that were, rather than expressing honor, were expressing dishonor and giving God their leftovers uh, rather than their best. Clearly, one form of worship is not just as good as another. By ignoring God's instructions about the type of sacrifices they were to bring, they were reflecting a disregard for God and despising his name rather than honoring it in their worship. And you see the same concept in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 15, in 7 through 9 here. Notice what Jesus says to the Pharisees. He says here in verse 8, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Is one form of worship just as good as another? Well, no, here he calls their worship vain and worthless. Why? Because their hearts weren't truly in it. They were going through the outward motions that were really more about following their own traditions, their own ideas, what they had been passed on from their forefathers than it was about genuinely doing what God desired. Than it was about genuinely uh, worshiping and honoring God from their hearts. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20 uh, and following, we again see a serious problem in worship. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 20. Here Paul says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Here the Christians in Corinth uh, had the problem of worshiping with an improper focus and an improper purpose. They were ultimately turning the Lord's Supper into something that resembled more the pagan feasts around them into a common meal, something that was more about feeding their own physical appetites than it was about genuinely remembering the Lord. They had taken something good and corrupted it to be self-focused rather than being Christ-focused. Is that what we do with our worship? Is our worship ultimately more about my appetites, what I desire, what I find fulfilling, or is it genuinely about the Lord? How serious was this? We'll look in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 27. Paul says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. I'd say that's pretty serious. 
And so when it comes to how we honor the Lord, how we worship him, how we remember him, how we give him praise, it's extremely important that we do that in a worthy manner, that we do that in a way that is genuinely giving God the honor that he deserves, that is genuinely showing reverence for him and for his will. Uh, And this showed itself in many different ways throughout the scripture. It may be a golden calf, it may be strange fire, it may be sick and lame sacrifices, man-made traditions, self-indulgent Lord's Supper meals, but these are all really symptoms of a deeper problem. Problem is making worship about us and not about the Lord. Allowing our worship to be more influenced by our own thoughts, our own feelings, rather than what it is that God desires. Maybe it's worldly influences, maybe it's negligence, convenience, pride, personal preferences, or self-serving lusts, but the core problem is letting worship revolve around us instead of around God. No, not all forms of worship are pleasing to God. And yet, some might want uh, to say, well, well, I thought all of life was worship. And, and this is a little bit maybe of a side point here. But, but I think, you know, we, we can find ourselves thinking, well, well, the Bible talks about all of life being worship. Uh, and so, you know, in all of these other ways that I may be honoring or serving the Lord, what's the problem with me bringing that in to the assembly? What's the problem with me bringing that, that in uh, and making that part of, of what we do collectively and, and worshiping and honoring the Lord? Well, part of this idea um, that any means of expressing ourselves can be worship comes from a confusion over the definition of worship itself. Uh, The word worship is actually used two different ways in our Bibles. Um, In one sense, worship is a specific act of offering and expressing reverence, devotion, or praise to God. A specific act that has a beginning, that has an end. Um, You might think of Genesis 22 in verse 5, where Abraham tells the people with him, uh, I and the lad, talking about Isaac, We'll go over there and we will worship and we will return to you. That was a specific act of expressing honor and glory to the Lord. Uh, Acts 24 and verse 11, um, Paul says, No more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. There he's talking about worship very clearly in the sense of offering a specific act of honor and reverence to the Lord. There is another way that the scripture uses this word worship, and that's the idea that living out our day-to-day lives uh, should be lived in a way that's pleasing in God's sight. Showing honor to him and bringing glory to him and the way that we conduct ourselves from day-to-day and in interactions with other people. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 tells us, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, an acceptable, uh, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. There is a sense in which everything that we do from day to day needs to be done in such a way that God is honored through it, that God is glorified through it. The Bible does use the word worship in some senses, uh, in some times in that way. 
Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16 says, Do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. But both those verses give this idea of the Old Testament context of sacrifice, an act of worship, applying to things that we do and interactions with others from day to day. But the problem comes when we try to mix those two definitions with one another. Yes, those words can be used in in two different ways. um, But does that mean that any aspect of life that I am living out uh, in a way that is honoring to the Lord can then be brought in and used as a specific act of worship before the Lord? Um, let, let me use an illustration. This isn't a perfect illustration, but it might at least help us grasp this idea. Um, washing dishes is an extremely important part of any restaurant, right? If, if you want your customers to be happy with what you're providing for them, uh, then you need to make sure that, that you're running a cleanly operation uh, and that they're clean dishes and clean utensils that they're using. However, that does not mean that I can go get uh, a cup full of, of nice, clean dishwater and put it on their tray and offer that to them uh, as their meal, right? Nobody's going to be pleased with that. In, in the same way, yes, all of our lives, things that we do day by day, should be lived in such a way that are honoring and glorifying to God. And, and that's the foundation. If, if that's not how we're living, then it doesn't matter what acts of worship we're bringing before the Lord, if my heart and my life aren't first honoring him. But that does not mean that anything that I can do in my day-to-day life that would be honoring to the Lord is an acceptable offering as we think about this other definition of worship, bringing an act of worship before the Lord. Um, And so it's not up to us to bring any and every aspect of our lives into the assembly and say, well, I can offer this to the Lord in worship. You know, you you may be a a very talented painter. uh, And are are you, in a sense, honoring God by by showing the talent that he's gifted you in that? Uh, Yes. You know, uh, and, and hopefully, you know, you, in the way that you use that talent, you're doing it in a way that's honoring and glorifying God. Does that mean that we can make that a specific act of worship that we bring into the assembly and we're saying, well, we're, we're all going to have a painting session and, and we're going to honor God in that way? Well, no, it's not up to us to determine what God desires in specific act of worship. And so let's not confuse these two different definitions. Yes, the Bible uses that concept in both ways, but we are not free to make worship whatever we want it to be just because, well, I I think I can do this in such a way that's honoring to the Lord. We'll do that in such a way that's honoring to the Lord. Yes, that doesn't mean that that is what God intended for you to bring as an offering in worship um, in the more specific sense. I think we see that back in the passage that we looked at at 1 Corinthians 11. Um, He says, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Can we show hospitality and welcome people into our homes and share a meal together in a way that is honoring to the Lord? By all means. Does that mean that it was okay for the people in Corinth to make that uh, what they were doing in place of partaking the Lord's Supper? Not at all. Uh, and so we need to be careful about that distinction. Ultimately, uh, worship must not be about pleasing men. 
It needs to be about pleasing the Lord. Galatians 1 and verse 10 is a passage that we've been focusing on a lot through this series of God's church versus my church. Paul says here in Galatians 1 and verse 10, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul sees these things as opposed to one another. They don't mix together. We can't serve two masters. Either we are a servant of the world or a servant of Christ. Either we are seeking the favor of men or we're seeking the favor of God. You might say, well, Grady, isn't worship supposed to be enjoyable? Isn't it supposed to be uplifting and, and, and meaningful? Certainly, no doubt about it. Uh, but there is a difference in molding worship to make it enjoyable and meaningful to us and molding our hearts so that we find value and enjoyment in genuine biblical worship the way that God desires it. If, if we don't find worship enjoyable, enjoyable and meaningful, we need to make sure that first and foremost, we're working on molding our hearts to be what God wants them to be, rather than trying to, to make that something that will be uh, a greater fulfillment for my desires. The problem is a matter of focus. focus. Who is our target audience? Is our tar target audience these people here? Is our target audience people in the world that we're hoping to, to attract? Or is our target audience God? What he desires, what is honoring and glorifying to him is of first importance. Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had some very harsh things to say about man-focused religion. Remember here in Matthew 6, starting in verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you, bring, uh, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Down in verse 5, it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. Again, down in verse 16, And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. You know, certainly we need to shine our lights as Christians. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about that concept. Um, we want people who come into this assembly to, to see love, to see sincerity, to see reverence for God. Uh, there's an example in 1 Corinthians 14 of somebody coming into the assembly and falling down and worshiping and saying, God is certainly among you. We want people to see that, to see God certainly among us. But brethren, the focus and the primary goal is not that other people will conclude that God is certainly among us. The goal is that God is actually among us. And hopefully they'll see that, right? And when we make the focus, well, what, it, what is going to be the most fulfilling and enjoyable and uplifting to the most people, whatever their desires, whatever their appetites may be, we have missed the focus entirely. If that's our goal, 
Jesus says, we've received our reward in full. It can't be about us. It can't be about man. It can't be about what we find fulfilling or what we desire. It needs to be about the Lord. If our worship is focused around Instagram-worthy moments and tweetable quotes around making sure that people enjoy themselves while they're here and want to come back, we've missed the point entirely, uh, and we've received our reward in full. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, uh, Paul warned many times against the stealthy influence of self-serving religion. He says here, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. You know, I, I don't think it would be inconsistent with the, the principle of this passage or the attitude expressed uh, to uh, express in the same way for the time will come when they will not endure sound worship. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves worship leaders in accordance with their own desires. It's the same problem. It's the same principle as we approach what it is we teach, as we approach how it is we worship. And so we need to seriously ask ourselves, what has a deeper influence on the type of worship we offer to God? Uh, The musical tastes uh, and preferences of the culture in which we live or God's will revealed to us in the scriptures. And I'm not, saying that every song we sing needs to be sung in the exact musical style that would have been present in the first century. (laughs) Um, But our songs do need to be most deeply influenced and molded by accomplishing the purpose defined for them within God's word. By doing what God has told us he wants us to do in worship. And so to accomplish that, um, we must let God tell us what pleases him. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 1, we're told, Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. What what is step one to God-glorifying worship? Listen. It's not about what we think God would like. It's about what God has told us. And if we are ever going to bring pleasing sacrifices before him, if we're not going to bring the offering of fools, then we need to take the time to let him tell us what he desires. Let let me use an example for you. A few years ago, Aaron and I went to a a nice fancy restaurant downtown, uh, the kind of place we wouldn't normally go to. Uh, And um, they were known for having some really nice cuts of meat you know, and, and, and cooking their meat really well. Uh, and so we were ordering, and Erin ordered some type of pork tenderloin. They asked how she'd like it cooked, and she said, well, I'll take it well done. And, and the waitress said, well, it's really not as good well done. Our, our, our cooks really don't even like cooking it well done. We, we normally go for a medium or medium well. Uh, it has a lot more flavor. You'll like it a lot more. Uh, And Aaron, who was not wanting to be argumentative, uh, said, okay, well, we we can try medium well. I ate that entire tenderloin (laughs) Um, because Aaron did not want any of it. She does not want anything. uh, And she knew what she wanted. The waitress thought that she knew better and and would be able to give something uh, better to Aaron than what she actually said she wanted. Is that us in our worship to the Lord? You know, God says, This is what I desire. 
we say, well, God, you know, it's really a lot more meaningful and fulfilling, I think, if we do it this way. Um, and so even, even though that's what you said, you know, I, I really think, just believe me on this, you'll like it. <laughs> do you think we can say that to Almighty God? We need to make sure that above all else, what influences the way that we worship is what God has told us. Um, we, we shouldn't be shocked to think that God might be displeased with our worship if it's our own ideas that, is, that are coming first. First Chronicles 15, you may remember the story uh, where David wants to honor God. He wants to seek the Lord. And the ark that has for a long time uh, been at the house of a man named Abinadab, he wants to bring it now into Jerusalem so that they can seek the Lord as a nation and keep him at the forefront. Uh, But you may remember as he does that, that uh, a man named Uzzah and his brother Ohio uh, are helping transport the ark. They uh, put it on this ox cart, and as it's going along, the oxen stumble at the threshing floor, uh, and to make sure that nothing happens to it, Uzzah reaches up his hand to touch the ark and stabilize it. And God strikes him dead there for his irreverence. What was the problem there? What was the lesson that God was teaching David? Well, here in 1 Chronicles 15, starting in verse 13, it says, uh, David says to the Levites here, because you did not carry it at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to the ordinance. Or some versions say according to the rule. David learns the lesson that God was teaching him. And the lesson was, we didn't listen to God. They're offering the sacrifice of fools here. They didn't draw near to listen first and foremost. You know, they thought, well, this seems like a pretty effective way of doing things. You know, bringing the ark to Jerusalem is a good thing, right? And an ox cart is going to be easier and more efficient. We'll be able to move more quickly and not get as worn out on the journey. And after all, the Philistines use an ox cart when they returned the ark There's just one problem. That's not what God said he wanted. God had commanded very specifically that the Levites were to be the ones to carry the ark. Uh, And we may say, well, is that really that big of a deal? Well, ask Uzzah if it was a big deal. (laughs) Um, He didn't think it was at first, but God made it very clear uh, that he will be held in reverence. And reverence means seeking his will doing things his way. Uh, What we can find out from the context there is that the ark had actually been in the house of Uzzah, his father Abinadab, for about 20 years. Um, And Uzzah and his brother Ohio, if if anybody should have known how to treat the ark, these men that have lived in the same house, household as the ark for 20 years should have known. Um, And yet, they uh, were told in 2 Samuel 6, uh, in verse 7, that he was struck down because of his irreverence. He didn't honor what God had said, um, did not treat God with reverence. Truly having reverence for God means respecting his commands and the pattern he is giving us. Truly seeking God means seeking out his will revealed in the scriptures and listening to his words. And so, 
ultimately, as we think about this, as it applies to our worship and specifically into our song worship, uh, in our song worship, God has told us he simply desires the melody of our hearts and the fruit of our lips. There's much more that we could talk about in, in worship in general, um, but I want to just read a couple passages uh, and try to think about what it is um, that God desires, how we can be accomplishing this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. God tells us, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. What does God say he wants? He wants us to speak to one another. Uh, he wants us uh, to make melody in our hearts unto him. Uh, one commentary uh, mentions about this passage, the contrast uh, perhaps with the, the pagan culture around them. Uh, it says, throughout the whole passage, there's a contrast implied between the heathen and the Christian practice. When you meet, let your enjoyment consist not in the fullness of wine, but in the fullness of the spirit. Let your songs be not the drinking songs of the heathen fe feasts, but psalms and hymns. And their accompaniment, not the music of the lyre, but the melody of the heart, while you sing them to the praise, not of Bacchus or Venus, but the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see very easily how the people of that time could have been influenced by the culture around them and what they thought worship was supposed to look like. But God makes it very clear it shouldn't look like the pagan feasts and the pagan worship. What I want is your hearts making melody uh, and giving glory to me. God doesn't simply want what the world wants. In our case, he doesn't want strobe lights and fog machines and guitar solos and stage performances. He wants us to use our voices to communicate words of edification and praise. He wants that to genuinely express the reverence and devotion of our hearts. Uh, that's the sound that, that pleases his ears. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, again, we read, Let the word of Christ dwell, uh, richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. Uh, if these two passages form the foundation for what we uh, define as song worship to the Lord. What, what is that going to look like? Well, here it's an overflowing of God's word. It's an overflowing of Christ's word within us. And it's going to flow out in teaching and admonishing one another and giving thanks in our hearts to the Lord. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, we're told, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name, not the fruit of the field or the fruit of the flock as in the old covenant, but the fruit of lips expressing thanksgiving and praise. This is the type of worship that Paul and Silas could offer in the confines of a Philippian jail. Um, God doesn't desire noisy gongs and clanging cymbals, um, which are the examples of something useless there in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, God desires for us to sing with the spirit and sing with the un, uh, understanding, as he says in 1 Corinthians 14. And so if we let God's word be our only guide in what type of worship we offer, what would it look like? Um, and 
I, I, I'm not saying that I have all the answers on that, but I do want to encourage us to think more deeply about it. Um, if, if, if God's word, what God has told us he desires is the foundation for everything that we offer to him, what is that going to look like? Let, let's make sure in our own hearts and our own minds uh, that worship doesn't become about us. It doesn't become about what I would like and what I would find most fulfilling and what I would find most uplifting. But let's mold our hearts to find the greatest fulfillment, to find it most uplifting and enjoyable, to give God what he genuinely desires. What about us? Um, Really, regardless of the form of worship that we bring, it can become a temptation, it can become a danger for us to take the focus off of God and to put the focus on us. And so even if outwardly we're doing everything the way that God would want us to, are we truly doing everything God wants us to inwardly? Um, you know, worshiping God in some other way than what he's told us uh, is not any worse than failing to make melody in our hearts, right? We need to make sure that our worship to God is genuinely what he said he wanted. Um, so what, what about us? What about you? Uh, are you offering God the kind of worship that he has commanded of you, that he desires? Um, is your life uh, the kind of worship, the kind of honor to God that it needs to be? Have you given your heart, your body, as a living sacrifice on the altar to the Lord? If you recognize that there are things in your life today that uh, have been more directed by your own desires, your own wants, that you haven't fully sacrificed yourself to the Lord, won't won't you make those changes? Uh, God in his grace is seeking to cleanse us, seeking to transform us. And if you need to come back to him, if there's some way that we can help you in making some change in your life, if there's some way that we can help you in committing your life to the Lord for the first time, um, if you've never taken up your cross to follow Jesus, you've never buried the old man of sin in the waters of baptism, know that by God's grace, you can confess your belief, your faith in him as the son of God, your Lord today. You can bury the old man of sin in the waters of baptism. You can be raised to walk in newness of life. If we can help you in any way in your relationship with the Lord, won't you make that known at this time by coming forward as we stand and sing together?